Okay, Jonah, the book of Jonah, four little chapters, and they're not very long. In fact, chapter two is the shortest of the, of the well, chapter two and three tie, but chapter two is a little shorter because when you look at the length of some of the verses, uh, there's only 17 in the first chapter, 10 in chapter two, 10 in chapter three, and 11 in chapter number four. So it's not a long uh, book at all. Um, it's, um, it's written different than... The, um, than the, some of the other prophets that we've already studied, particularly some of the minor prophets, because we see, even though we see in each of the other uh, prophets we've studied a little bit about their lives, this is almost like a biography of this period of Jonah's life over a period of a short time here, a um, month or so. And, uh, but he preached um, uh, probably longer than what we have included in Scripture, uh, and so as we look at this tonight, <clears throat> talk about him, his is different in that um, it's not as long as some of them, it's longer than some of the other. The ones last week we looked at uh, were one chapter and two chapters, you know, we put two together, and then there's uh, Jonah tonight, we'll look at it. And then probably um, after next week, we'll combine a couple of them again, because there are only three chapters. Next week is Micah, and it's five chapters, but we'll probably look at it um, in one night too. I mean, uh, it, only Micah in one night. So anyway, that's just getting ahead of ourselves. So the, the word for uh, Jonah is the word prepared. And there are four chapters, as I mentioned. And we'll see where there are some things the Lord prepared. Sometimes he uses the word prepared, and sometimes the word prepared is not used, but it's seen. Um, and the first um, one is found or two actually found in verse 4. So for right now, let's start at chapter 1 and verse 1 and read down um, to verse number 4. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We see that phrase twice in verse 3, to go from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, but the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. So first two are found in, in verse 4, a wind, and not just a wind, a tempest. Uh, a wind by itself is... You know, one thing, but a, a tempest would be a wind that's stormy with probably, you know, a lot of rain. And, um, and so the tempest, it mentions in the sea. So God prepared those things the moment Jonah uh, decided not to go. Uh, he made up his mind, I'm not going to obey what God said. Twice it says in verse 3 that he wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord uh, because God had told him to go to Nineveh. Now, why in the world would he do that? So we'll look at that tonight. Skip down to verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared, we said our key words prepared, uh, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Skip over to chapter 4, and the, uh, the other three are found in this chapter, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, so let's read those. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it come over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So, so Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. You've probably seen a gourd uh, shaped kind of, uh, you know, smaller at the top and then, and then round like that. And so um, it was, God prepared it 
and, and made it come over, over Jonah. So there was a miracle there where God made that thing grow all of a sudden, and there it was over Jonah, uh, that it made a shadow. It must have been a pretty big one. Verse 7, God prepared a worm. That's another thing under prepared. A worm, when the morning rose the next day and smoked the gourd, that it withered. So he prepared the gourd, then he prepared the worm that would make the gourd to wither. And then uh, verse, um, look at verse 8. <clears throat> and it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the wind uh, on the wind on the head of Jonah, and it fainted and wished himself to die, and said, "It is better for me to die than to live." So we see that word prepared, and even though the word's not mentioned in verse four, it just says that the Lord sent uh, a great wind and a mighty tempest. So uh, obviously, being sent, that he he prepared them to come Jonah's way for. Uh, purpose of getting Jonah's attention. So with that in mind, let's look at uh, a little background of Jonah, his time frame, and then we'll look, we'll break down each chapter or we'll, we'll look at an outline of the chapters. Then we'll do, we'll break down. Since it's only four chapters, we'll read some portions of this tonight. Um, because again, this reads like a, almost a biography of this period of his life. And uh, beginning with when God called him to go to, to preach to Nineveh, to the, to the time where he uh, disobeyed God, and then he got back on track, and so we'll look at that. So creation about 3975, roughly 4000 B.C., and then Jonah, um, the time that he ministered, uh, served the Lord, was about 793 to 753. And again, what we see in this book uh, of Jonah was just that particular period. He probably preached other things at different times, uh, but he preached at... Um, uh, during in between those years, 793 to 753 B.C. And it was a time when King Jeroboam II reigned, uh, who was a descendant of Jeroboam. If you remember when the kingdom divided, after, um, <clears throat> remember, um, Saul was the first king, then David, and after David, his son Solomon. Then after Solomon died, the kingdom divided, northern, southern kingdom, northern being called Israel, ten tribes, southern being Judah, Benjamin of Judah. And so Jeroboam, was one of the kings of uh, of the uh, of the southern kingdom, and he reigned from seven ninety or excuse me, northern kingdom. He reigned from seven ninety four to seven fifty three B C. So about the time of Jonah's ministry was during the time of this king, and he was <clears throat> he was a descendant of Jeroboam, the first king of the north, and then he was a descendant later on, like down the line, um, trying to remember which king, maybe fifth king, fourth or fifth king. So he was like a great great. He wasn't the direct descendant. He was a great great. But he was called Jeroboam also, and um, he was the king at the time when Jonah was prophesying. So let's break down and look at each chapter. And in doing so, we'll look at a couple of details. Then we'll go back and we'll see some more things about Jonah before we close tonight. Chapter 1, we see where Jonah runs from God. Jonah is protesting against what God wanted him to do. The first four verses we read was that God called him to go to Nineveh. And then Jonah disobeys God, and he goes completely the opposite direction. We'll look at a map here in just a second. Um, yeah, here in just a second. Let me back up and, and, uh, and talk about this first. He runs completely from God. So what's the backstory? Uh, what, what, what led to this? Why did Jonah run from God? What made him do that? Well, a lot of times we think of Jonah, and we think of people that get out of God's will, or uh, maybe God's called them to do something for him, whether it's in the ministry, be a missionary, or even something, you know, not as what we'd call big. Uh, and then they run from it. 
And so we think we, you know, we think of, uh, of them being, quote unquote, a Jonah. But Jonah had the reason for what he did. Wasn't a good, right reason, but in his mind, it was a good reason why he did that. Um, now, again, he'd, prof- he'd been a prophet for a number of years, so it's very likely that he had preached before this book was recorded of Jonah. He probably preached other things for God. Um, it just says there in verse 1 that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. So at whatever point it was and however long he'd been preaching, this is something God had given him. Maybe Jonah had you know, done God's, you know, had, had acted on God's will and obeyed God in the past, and maybe this was the first time that he disobeyed. We don't know. We just know that he, he did disobey. But why did he do that? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Let me skip forward here and look at a map. And if you have a map in the back of your Bible, uh, but if you don't, this one will help. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Assyria was eventually the, uh, it's, it's the capital, uh, Nineveh rather, is the capital of Assyria. Uh, Assyria is to the north and down below Assyria. You see the Tigris River and then Persian Gulf on your map. That's, um, uh, that would be Babylon down there below Assyria. And so um, at this time, Israel, the kingdom is divided. And it's many, many years, uh, probably over 100 years before, Jeru- before um, Israel goes in, or right at 100 years before they go into captivity to Assyria. Remember, we've been studying this a lot, and we went through the Kings and the Chronicles, and then a couple of the minor prophets we've talked about. In fact, a couple of them we've talked about was while they were in captivity. Well, this is way before either of them go into captivity. They've gone into idolatry many times over, especially the northern kingdom where, where uh, Jonah, where he'd been preaching. And so God told him, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was a very cruel people. They're modern-day Iran to this day. They're modern-day Iran. And so they're very cruel people. Now, think about this. Imagine right after 9-11. You remember 9-11? 9 <laughs> Right after 9-11, if God called you on 9-12-01, I want you to go to Iran and preach to the people there and tell them to get right with me, and they'll get right with me. How hard would that be? That would have been very difficult. There had been a lot of emotion then. There had been a lot of uh, emotion about what had happened and, and all that, that took place. And you know, pretty much anybody in the Muslim world wouldn't have been held in high esteem in our eyes at that time. And so that would be very difficult. Well, that's kind of what Jonah found, where Jonah found himself. The Assyrians were a very cruel people. And even though they had not gone into captivity to them yet, the Assyrians were still very cruel towards Israel. And so... God tells him, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the Assyrians there in Nineveh, and they're going to get right with me. Well, Jonah said, I don't want them to get right with God. I don't like them. I'd rather something happen to them. How many times in ministry does that affect the way that we minister to other people and get the gospel to people? Because we don't like them for some reason, and we don't want to give them the gospel. That should never block our desire to give the gospel to somebody. And so he did not want to go and preach God's message to them because he was afraid that they would actually get right. And it's in his mind, it's like, now if they get right, then we can't go in and destroy them, which they weren't going to do anyway. But um, just, to, just to give you a little uh, heads up, we'll talk about in the, um, in the future, one of the other minor prophets, when we get there, how actually about 150 years after he preached this that we're going into today, the Assyrians did indeed, they did, uh, many of them get wiped out, and God did send judgment on them. But it wasn't time yet. 
And so God wanted him to go take the message to Nineveh. So as you see, um, um, Tarshish is north there of Israel, heading back up towards Syria, uh, which is up there. And then you, got Tur- you have Turkey up above Syria. That's not marked on the map. But anyway, nor- Tarshish is way up north. And so um, the scripture tells him, uh, the scripture tells us that he's um, in Tarshish and he ends up going to Joppa. Go back to it again in chapter one. Um, excuse, excuse me, he's, uh, he's going to Tarshish from Joppa. I should have said it the right way. Verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he, he left there to go the opposite way and to not go all the way to Nineveh, but to stop there in Tarshish. And there, of course, it's a, it's a port city, as you see. And when he gets there um, and he gets in the ship with them, he pays the fare. And he does that more ways than one. He pays actual money, but he's paying the fare of getting away from God, getting out of God's will. Notice this twice in there, from the presence of the Lord. Now, we can't get anywhere out of God's presence. We know he's everywhere. But he was out of the presence of the Lord in that he was not. He was getting getting himself out of God's will, what God had called him to do. And then you get into verse 4, and it tells us that God, that tells us that God sent a, a great wind um, and a mighty tempest, so the ship was like to be broken. It was about to uh, completely break up and be destroyed in the ocean, all because of disobedient Jonah, because Jonah would not obey God's will. So rather than getting ahead of ourselves, let's back up and go back to this. So Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. They were heathen. They weren't God's people. They weren't Israelites. They were heathen people. They were cruel and they were wicked. And so he did not want to see them get right with God. Chapter 2, Jonah runs back to God and we see him going from pouting to praying. In fact, when you get to the end of um, uh, at the end of verse 1, as you read through chapter 1, you find out that the other men on the ship, they're wondering, you know, why did this come up? Why are we having this... Um, why are we having this uh, storm? In fact, this guy that's, that's riding with us here, we don't know this guy, but he paid his fare and he's with us. Verse 5, it says that he fell asleep, fast asleep uh, on the, at the side of the ship there. He was asleep during the storm. So uh, while he's asleep and the, and the storm's going on, the uh, captain of the ship, or whoever he was, whatever they call him, calls him here, shipmaster, came to him and said, verse 6, What meanest thou, O sleeper, arise Call upon thy God, if it be so that God will think upon us that we perish not. So here, among these men, they probably were not believers in the true and living God. But Jonah, they knew that um, there was something about this man that wasn't, wasn't right. And they told him to call upon his God. As you read through there, you find out that he tells them, look, I'm the, pro- I'm the problem. I'm the cause of this storm. I'm why your ship's about to break up. And he said, if you'll just throw me over to the side there... Uh, I'll be delivered. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want the sea to kill him, destroy him from the storm, or they didn't want to, you know, something to, to a shark or something, I guess, probably. They felt for him. They didn't want him to die. And so he told them, verse 12, to do that. And they tried their best to keep everything afloat. And then go to verse 14. Wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord. Now, these men, even with a disobedient prophet, these men end up believing on the true and living God. Uh, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I think this is an Old Testament way of saying they believed in the true and living God. I think they were converted then, even when Jonah was disobedient. Verse 17, now the Lord prepared a great fish, we'll come to that, to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So let's go on and finish this out, and then we'll back up and look at some details, a little more detail. Chapter 3, after that, the Scripture says that um, Jonah, he has a, he has a um, um, come to Jesus meeting in chapter 2, and he realizes he's in the wrong, and he says, uh, Lord, you're, um, you, you, you are God, you are holy. Uh, look how he, what he says in verse uh, 9, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. So he knew that God um, was, was getting him straightened out, you know, by being in the, uh, in the, in the belly of, of that beast for three days and three nights. We'll come to that in a moment. And then it says in verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the lamp. Look at all the miracles that go on in this uh, book. Even though they were because of Jonah's disobedience, they're miracles nevertheless. God prepared the, the wind. God prepared the sea. He prepared the, um, uh, even on the ship, he, and, and he protected those other men. Then he prepared the great fish to swallow him. So uh, all these miracles that go on in just four chapters, it's just an amazing thing. And then when you get to chapter 3, we see where Jonah runs with God. Jonah then begins preaching. Verse 1 of chapter 3, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, He says, All right, first time was a bust. It didn't work out, Jonah. You disobeyed me. Verse 2, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days journey. So it took him three days walking after he got out of the belly of that thing and goes walking to, uh, to Nineveh to go preach. And then in chapter four, you would think that after all he'd been through and preaching in Nineveh, and as we'll find out, those people got right with God. Hot dog, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. We'll have a great hallelujah time. We have revival. He ends up pouting. Now he's upset because the people did get right with God. <laughs> and even though, you know, God told him that's what he wanted him to do. And so he begins to pout and even says, Lord, take my life. Um, I, I, I'm just not worthy to live anymore. Look at verse. Um, we read a while ago about the, uh, the, the gourd and the uh, wind, uh, the sun beaming down on it. And then let's pick up verse 8 again, chapter 4. It came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted, wished himself to die, and said, Is it better for me to die than to live? There's another character in Scripture I think of right off, and that's Elijah. Elijah also, after he had done the will of God, he did. He had a great, um, great, uh, um, uh, God showed himself strong on Mount Carmel that time. Remember, there he is on the mountain, and God, God spares his, his, you know, his prophets. Elijah and all the prophets of God are spared. And then the prophets of Baal, they're all destroyed by fire. And then next thing you know, uh, after all of that, he gets a threat from Jezebel, and he takes and runs from her. He takes off and runs from Jezebel, and he says, Lord, take my life. So here are two prophets that, you know, after doing the will of God, you would think they'd be rejoicing. You'd think they'd be strengthened, but no, they both were discouraged, and they wanted to die. So he runs ahead of God in chapter 4, and he's pouting. So there's our map again. Uh, so let's look at this. Uh, was it a great fish, or was it a whale? yes. And yes, turn over your will to Matthew 12. Hold your place. Matthew 12. 
Matthew 12, verse number 38 to 41. Luke records this, but Luke does not have all the same words that, that Matthew does. Luke chapter 1. And let's see. And look at, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, Luke chapter 1. We're not going to go to it. We're not going to go to Luke 11 after all. We're going to mark Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 38, down to verse 41. Let's look and see what Jesus says here. Then certain the scribes and Pharisees answer, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And so it's getting towards the end of his ministry. And it's getting um, towards uh, where he's going to be heading toward the cross, um, heading to, to, towards um, Jerusalem and towards the cross eventually. Verse 39. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So he tells them, the only sign I'm going to give you is the same sign that Jonas had. Jesus was heading to the cross. He would die on the cross uh, soon. Um, be buried and in, uh, in the, it would be buried for three days in the grave and then rise from the dead. Verse 40, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, um, I believe it was a whale. And so, you know, all the biologists, all the scientists, a whale's not a fish, it's a mammal. I know, I know what they say, but Jesus called a whale. And I'm just going to believe what Jesus said. In the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, as Jonah, okay, as he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas or Jonah. Behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So he tells them... Um, about Jonah. He confirms Jonah's life. He confirms jo the book of Jonah and what he says here confirms it as being true and as being scripture. And then he ties it in with the queen of the south who went, who visited um, Solomon. Uh, that's in first Kings chapter 10 where she visits Solomon. And so he ties those in together saying, you know, that's, that's uh, Jonah is just as much scripture and just as much from, you know, what happened in the old Testament actual as the queen of the south visiting Visiting with Solomon. So he says, as there, as is always something as a, as a, a, a comparison in scripture. Uh, but when you, when you look over in um, the book of Genesis, chapter 21, it's interesting because whales, or it's chapter 1 and verse 21, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, whales are, are mentioned um, by um, description rather, you know, where some of the others it just says great fish, it'll say fish, and it'll say birds. But whales are mentioned specifically as a species in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 21. And so they're, they're part of animal, uh, sea animal life, and uh, they, they swim like a fish. And I know they're called mammals by what man says, and that's all good and fine. I understand that they have qualities and characteristics. But you have to understand, too, folks, that modern-day science and biology thinks that man came from the same thing as animals. So I would much rather take the word of Jesus over what biologists or scientists say 
Um, you can call it a great fish because that's what the scripture says in Jonah. You can call it a whale because that's what Jesus called it. Uh, it doesn't matter what you call it as long as you know that it happened and it, is, and it did happen. It's certainly, certainly biblical, certainly, certainly actual, certainly true. So let's go back to, with that in mind, let's go back to Jonah and pick up, back up in, in chapter 2. He said, as the Son of Man, or as, as uh, Jonah was in the belly of the, Jesus called it a well, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. The heart of the earth he's describing there is, is hell. Jesus did, and there's a long doctrine, a long thing. We don't have time to go into it tonight. But for uh, during that three days and three nights, he was in the grave. His spirit and soul did go into hell. I'll give you some scripture on that, but we don't have time to look into a lot of that tonight. If we, at the end, we might, if we have some time, we'll go in and look at that. But nevertheless, um, it says there in chapter 2 of Jonah, verse 1, I said, by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. So there are two camps that believe that Jonah actually died and went to hell for a period of time because he says, out of the belly of hell cried I. Now, a lot of your commentators, even some conservatives, and I, they may mean well when they do it, uh, but they say that he's using this descriptively. I don't believe that because Jesus, the only person in the Old Testament that Jesus likened his death, burial, and resurrection to was Jonah. You don't resurrect if you haven't died. And so he likened, they said, what sign? We want to know a sign from you. The only sign I'm giving you is that of Jonas, Jonah the prophet. Uh, as he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And so uh, he describes it that way. And verse 2 says that Jonah cries, out of the belly of hell cried I, and heardest my, thou heardest my voice. Then when you read through the next few verses, I didn't have time to, to put them on a slide, and I didn't know if we'd have time to look at them, but there's several places in the Psalms where apparently Jonah had spent some time reading the Psalms because they're very similar to some of the places in Psalms that he, where he quotes here, verse 3, For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, then the floods compassed about, and all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. In fact, let me see if I can find this one real quick. Uh, this is either Psalm 40 or Psalms uh, 40 something or Psalm 60. I'm trying to think where that's at. Where he likens suffering, uh, David likens the suffering he goes through to billows and waves. In other words, he, he compares it or likens it to being tossed in the sea. Um, you, you, we use the expression these days, you, you feel like you're drowning in your problems, you know, and so um, that's that's kind of what. Uh, the picture of that, what suffering uh, is like sometimes, being overwhelmed by the waves. Uh, I'm trying to find it. I thought there was a place in chapter 60. Uh, I know I should have written this reference down, and I didn't write it down. Um, uh, well, here's one similar. Psalm 66, I'll just read it to you in verse 12. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Thou brought us into a wealthy place. There's a better one than that. Um, but he, he likens it to... Um, he likens it to, to drowning. And so he's evidently spent some time in the Psalms. Look down at verse... Um, uh, let's see. 
Verse 9, but I will sacrifice to thee the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And that's also found in one of the Psalms um, where, where the uh, psalmist says that. Let's see. Three sticking in my mind right now for some reason. Yeah, chapter 3 of Psalm, verse 8. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. So at some point in his life, Jonah must have spent some time in some of the Psalms because they're reflected in the prayer that he prays back and talks to God uh, whenever uh, he's uh, in the belly of hell. It says there in verse number 2. So <clears throat> Jonah, uh, is that's, that's the one person uh, from the Old Testament that the Lord gives the example. Back in 1807 through 1909, there was a gentleman named James Bartley. And there is, uh, you can find this on the internet, you can look it up. Uh, they've, tried to refute, they've tried to refute this in recent years, but this is a written, documented uh, account of a man back in that day. I forget what year it happened to him. A man named James Bartley, who was actually swallowed by a whale for a period of time. Uh, and then he was, uh, he was rescued and, uh, and, and uh, was able to live and tell about it, live many years after that. I think what I read was he lived like 17 or 18 years after that happened. Uh, but there's a written account of that. This one, uh, even though that other one people have tried to refute it, this one can't be refuted. In 2022, August 9th, just a little over a year ago, uh, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, I found this on two different newspapers. I found it first on the Daily Record from UK, from Britain, but I also in some of my research today looked again, and it's in the Cape Cod newspaper, whatever that is online. Uh, this man, his name is Michael Packard from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. He was swallowed by a humpback whale while diving for lobster. And so uh, now he wasn't in there a long amount of time. He was in there just a short amount of time and got out pretty quick, a lot quicker than three days. But he was indeed swallowed by a whale. Um, it's the, the, the account gives that. If you'll look up that name, uh, you can find it. If you look on the Internet, you'll find it um, several, you know, like I said, a couple of articles about that. In fact, sometime recently within the last few weeks or a week or so, uh, there's a second article, but it's a video. I didn't watch it today. There's a video of him talking about a year later, about his life a year later. Um, this man must have been in his, I'd say early 60s maybe, and uh, apparently he, he, uh, he um, you know, um, what would you call it, fish for lobster? He lobstered, <laughs> fished lobster, uh, for a living, and sure enough, he fell, and, and he, was, he was taken out in a short amount of time, but he was indeed uh, swallowed by a humpback whale. There are other accounts given through, through history where people have written down some accounts, but the, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, James Bartley, is the one that's probably the best known for many years ago, and then this, this gentleman. Then there's also those who've been swallowed for a time, not eaten, believe it or not, but swallowed by um, what they call a whale shark. Um, they've been swallowed by those and somehow escaped. So there are accounts of uh, individuals being swallowed. So, you know, when, when they try to refute it and say Jonah was just a, you know, it's just a par parable or allegory, don't believe it. I'd rather just stick with what the Bible says. And I, I, you're not safer doing that, of course. What do we learn from Jonah? We learn that God uses imperfect people to complete his plan. You know why? Because that's all he has. That's all he has is imperfect people. And he used Jonah. Even a man that was unwilling at first, God used him. Now, he had to send something to chastise him to get his attention, but he did use him, and Jonah, God used him greatly. And then when you go back and read that, in fact, let's go back uh, before we get to the next point. Go back to chapter 3, 
Um, you read the first few verses. We read verse 1 and 2 a while ago. Jonah begins to preach. And in verse 4, he says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Wow, these are people that probably worship a lot of different gods, different idols. But they believed what Jonah had come to tell them. And proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth. They're getting serious about it. From the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and uh, covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. He was getting serious about it. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. What would happen if our leaders sat in sackcloth and ashes? Hmm. Saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. In other words, no, nobody's going to eat. Let them not feed nor drink water. He says, don't do, I want you to focus and concentrate on what this message that this man brought, that, the, that God um, uh, is going to bring destruction unless we get right with him. Verse 8, but let a man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily unto God. Let them turn everyone from his evil way, from the violence that is in their hands. Remember, they were those who'd, who destroyed at different times, destroyed um, the Israelites, even before they took them into captivity. Verse 9, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? Verse 10, and God saw their works, and they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Another place in Scripture where God repents. Um, he repented. He changed his mind. It shows us that the word repent is a change of mind. Sometimes there are actions that follow after it, but repentance in and of itself is a change of mind. And so when a person trusts Christ as Savior, you say, well, do they repent? Yeah, they do because they've changed their mind about the way to heaven. They think they can get to heaven with their works and they trust Christ. They've changed their mind. They believed on him. So you don't even have to use that word when it comes to evangelism and getting the gospel to people because unfortunately it confuses people. But what it basically, what the word does mean is to change your mind. God repented. He changed his mind. He didn't destroy them. Jonah was honest. At least he said why he wouldn't go. Now we're not always as honest with Jonah. We like to make excuses and stick with them. He was very honest about it. He didn't want to go. He didn't want those people getting right with God. Uh, and he's also honest. Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16 um, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, he said, um, he said, I would that you were hot or cold. And because you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Jonah was cold. He was honest. I'm cold. I'm just cold about the things of God. I'm not even lukewarm. I'm not even going to try to be. I'm not hot. I know that. I'm cold. And so he was honest. Why he wouldn't go when he was honest? He was cold toward the things of God. The more Jonah ran, the deeper in he got. Isn't that true in life? A lot of times, if we run from God or run from his plan, run from his will, we're just going to get in deeper. And that's what he found himself uh, doing. When he, the, the more he ran, the deeper in he got. He goes and runs and goes and gets his ship to go the, up, to go the other way. Big storm happens, uh, takes, takes a place. He's thrown over the side, and God calms the storm. And then next thing you know, he's swallowed by the oil, uh, the great fish of oil. And so uh, the more he ran, the deeper he got. There's an old saying by a man that I don't think this man's even a believer, but he's right about this. His name is Rollo May, and he said this, It is an ironic habit of human beings to run faster when we have lost our way. There's a lot of truth to that to run faster when we've lost our way. Now, I hope he became a believer if he wasn't, but that is very true. Even though that is not scripture, it's scriptural. There's, there's, there's a lot of biblical truth behind that 
behind that saying. So the more, the more he ran, the deeper in he got. Running from our problems does not change them because when he came back after that storm and everything else, it was still right there in front of him and God still called him to do something. So running from our problems, it does not change them. And so Jonah still came back to what God wanted him to do and he realized that running was not the answer. God always wanted what was best for Jonah though. He always wanted what was best for him. Um, even when it took a time of chastisement, that's true for you and me. If he has to chastise us, uh, he loves us as a parent should with a child to get them back in line. And so God always wanted what was best for him, no matter what. So we learn these things from Jonah. We see from his life some very important lessons. And we see a man that was called by God, but yet reluctant because he didn't want to go to those people. That was the last thing on his mind was to see them get right with God when they had been an enemy for so long. Matthew 16, 4 is another passage where uh, Jesus mentions about Jonah. Matthew 16, verse 4. We looked at 12 while ago when he told the Pharisees that that would be the sign. Um, So he's included... Matthew 16, 4, when it comes to... um, We'll pick up at verse, verse 16, verse 1 of chapter 16. So he says something similar here to what he said to the, to the Pharisees earlier. This time the Sadducees are with them. It says in verse 1, Pharisees and Sadducees came tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather, for today the sky is red and lowering. Um, there's an old saying, uh, read in the morning, sailor's warning. Read at night, sailor's delight. Um, you know, talking about the, the way the, the sky looks from the sun setting. And so I think that's where that comes from, where Jesus says that. And then he says in verse 3, O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Um, And the reason he did, I think, is because he had already said in chapter 12, he elaborated on that about Jonas. But when they asked him again, he just simply tells them the short answer. You'll see no sign but the sign of the prophet Jonas or Jonah. And then off he goes. He he departs. He leaves from them. So tune up with Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, we see the example of... um, uh, how how it's very easy to be a disobedient Christian. We learned that from Jonah and, and his mistake. Um, and then chapter 1, verse 16, go back there. Doing right makes an impact. I hope I've got the right verse there. That doesn't look right. I think I'm probably looking for chapter chapter 2 in, instead of chapter 1 uh, of Jonah. Jonah 1. Oh, chapter 1, verse 16. Yeah, Um when, they, when, when he told them, if you'll do this, you know, uh, that you'll be out of that storm, then they believed God. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. And so it has an impact when you do what is right. And even though Jonah was at that point in the storm and then about to, th- you know, to be thrown overboard because of his disobedience, uh, I think right then he was really starting to realize he needed to get things right with God. And then when he ended up in the, in the belly of that great fish, he certainly knew it. So doing right makes an impact. Then chapter 2, verse 10, and the Lord spoken, spoken to the fish. Now it's time. Uh, let him out. 
he's, he's been in there, so now uh, let Jonah out. And so uh, shows that the Lord has power over his creation. He has power over everything that he made. And all he had to do is, is speak to that, that uh, great fish, uh, in, maybe in fish language, he knows, or whale language, or whatever it was, but he spoke to him, and, and he certainly, the Bible says that he just bombed <laughs> him right out on the land. And then chapter 3, verse 10, as we already looked at, God changed his mind. He was, you know, he could have destroyed those people, and had Jonah not gone, um, it might be that God would have destroyed them because they, they would not have, never have heard the message. But nevertheless, he did, uh, and he changed his mind and did not destroy them. And there was great revival in uh, Nineveh. And by the time you read the end of chapter 4, um, verse 11, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons? They cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Uh, most writers believe that that's talking about just the, the amount of uh, children or small children. So if you take those small children by number and then you 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 uh, make it that number, how many would be parents? It's that much more. So six score thousand a score is what twenty. So that'd be one hundred twenty thousand just children that were under age to even know the right hand from the left. So uh, you take that, and with older children and teenagers and parents. Um, we don't know how many there were, but there were a lot of people in Nineveh, and God spared all of them. Um, Jesus is seen as Jonah, as we already talked about, who died and lived again, and he uses Jonah as the one and only sign of his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he's one greater than Jonas. We, we read the verse a while ago in Matthew 12, verse 41, where he tells them that sign, and he said, Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Uh, and so uh, we see him is uh, both of those things in the book of Jonah and our fuel up. Their home address, salvation is of the Lord. And that's true for anybody and everybody. Chapter 2, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. He's the one that came up with a plan, and he will save anybody and everybody. And in this case, it was Nineveh, the enemy. God saved and spared them. And then 3, 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. That's what they simply did was believe God. They believed who he was. They believed that he would bring judgment. But if they, they knew that if they believed in him, they trusted in him, that he would spare them. And as we saw at the very last verse, verse 11, that he did. Uh, and there's great revival there in Nineveh, what he did. So let's stop there. I'm sure there are probably some questions or input. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be next door in Micah in five chapters. All right. Any questions or any input or anything on Jonah? Yes, ma'am. Denise? It's believed that um, Jonah actually died and then came back to life because of what Jesus said. Because of that, that he used that one example of what would happen to him, that he would die and third day rise again. So, And so um, the, the, those who say that he didn't die, but they do believe he went to hell like he said he did, um, was that maybe he was laying, you know, that his spirit or whatever went there, but I don't know. I think that um, I, I'm just, that's why, I'm, I believe that's why Jesus used him as the example, is that he, he died. And he says, out of the belly of hell, he says, I'm crying out of the belly of hell in chapter 2, verse 2. So go with me to, um, we have a couple minutes. Go with me to Acts for just a moment, Acts chapter 2. And then we'll go to, um, then we'll go to Ephesians. So there's a, and I, I need to study this out before I even attempt to try to teach it, but I can just give you some highlights right now, and you can go look in the scripture and, and study it yourself. We're going to be in Acts 2 for a moment, then we're going to go over to e Ephesians chapter 4. Acts 2, 
Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And um, he's quoting from the book of Acts, I mean, excuse me, from the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 8 through verse 11. And, uh, but I'm, I'm going to Acts here because when Peter preaches this, Jesus had already died and was buried and already rose from the dead, of course, at this point. And so this, what, Peter, what Peter preaches in this message, he uses is in the message, he quotes Psalm 16, 8 through 11, if you'd like to write that down. And if you have a margin with notes in your Bible, it may have these verses in the margin anyway. But I'm picking up at Acts 2, verse 25. Peter's preaching to the people of Israel there in Jerusalem. For David speaketh concerning him. And then when you read the verses before that, what he's saying is David is speaking prophesying concerning the Lord Jesus. Because before that, you see where uh, he's writing and talking about how Jesus had, had uh, been crucified by them. Verse 23 and verse 24, God raised him up and was not and was loose from the pains of death. You can't be loose from something you didn't experience. So he was loose from the pains of death. Verse 25, he's quoting Psalm 16. David speaketh concerning him, concerning Jesus. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, Jesus, to see corruption. In other words, his body wouldn't corrupt. He wouldn't be in the grave long enough to corrupt. After the third day, he'd rise again. Uh, his body to, uh, to see, suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 28, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full with the joy of thy countenance. And so it says he would not leave my soul in hell. So you can't leave something that's not there. Go over to Ephesians 4. Now at some point in the future, I may try to try to do this as a study sometime, maybe on a Wednesday night, and we can, you know, uh, have a little more time, be a little more informal with it. i still got a lot of it to study myself. But Ephesians 4, pick up at verse, um, oh, pick up at verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all, but every unto everyone is given, uh, of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. To ascend up on high meant that it, it a, there was a point where Jesus ascended up into heaven, took this perfect sacrifice that he made before God the Father, then came back down and then um, appeared to his disciples. This is after he had risen from the dead. But look at verse 9. Now he that ascended... What is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? That would be hell because we saw a while ago, uh, it talked about hell and how uh, he said, out of the belly of hell cried I. And Jesus said that as Jonas was in the, in the uh, heart of the earth, three days and three nights. Lower parts of the earth, verse 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So while Jesus was in the grave, there was a point in time where he descended into hell. Why did he, why did he do that? There's false teaching out there today that Jesus went to hell to pay for our sins. No, he did not. He paid for our sins on the cross, not in hell. Go to, go to Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Why did he go down there? Well, um, and this gets into a long thing, and again, this is we'll have to we'll talk about this in the future. 
before Calvary, before the crucifixion, there was a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. When believers died, they went there. They didn't go to heaven in the Old Testament. When they died, they went to, the, to Abraham's bosom, to paradise. Then there was a place called hell where those that had died and, and were, you know, uh, um, in the Old Testament did not believe, you know, did not believe God, did not trust God. And they went to hell just as people nowadays, if they die without Christ, they go to hell. Look with me at chapter 1 of Revelation. Um, get my verse right here. And verse number... Oh, I think I might have the wrong verse here. Let's look first at this, though. Look at verse, um, chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 17. This is John the Apostle saying this when he, when he saw Jesus. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Yeah, this is it. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. So, once Jesus rose from the dead, he had full authority and power from Almighty God because the price for sin was paid. So he, he goes down to hell, he knocks on the door, he says, Devil, give them to me. Those keys are mine. They're not yours anymore. And now Jesus took the keys of hell and death with him. Then he ascends back to the Father. Then he goes, uh, sends back down to earth and talks to his disciples after, um, after he'd already been risen from the dead. Talks to them, they see him in a body that you can touch, but had no blood in it. It was just flesh and bone because it was a glorified body. Isn't that an awesome thing? I know I threw a lot at you in a very short amount of time, but this is a, a doctrine you don't hear taught much anymore. And one reason is because it is kind of confusing, and, and it does get very deep. But you have to understand, um, when you see that, that makes sense where he says there that I was dead and alive, and I have the keys of death and hell. He, now, he had them after he rose from the dead. He didn't need them while he was on earth. And so he had them after he rose from the dead, and he, he now has the keys of death and hell. So that's not just a figurative thing. That's a literal thing, too. He has the key to that, all right? I know I threw a lot at you in about five, six, seven minutes. So anything else before we close tonight? We'll get to this sometime in a study. But if you want to write those verses down and go back and study them yourself, I think I'll make a good study just to, to look at, and maybe you'll find your own references. You'll find some others maybe. So, All right, anything else? Yes, ma'am. Denise? It's been quite a while since I I think Mel Gibson was planning to make a sequel to The Passion of the Christ. I think he's actually, I think he's working on that, in fact. Um, I don't know if they're actually filming yet, but I saw where he was working. They had a script, I think. And so they're, they're working on that. And I think he's getting Jim Caviezel to come back, you know, do his part. So, yeah. And I'll be interested to see how they do that in a, in a movie. Sure will. All right, let's stand and close in prayer. We'll dismiss. If you want to read ahead, Lord willing, we'll be in... Uh, um, We'll be in Micah next week, and that, um, that's the book where it gives the location of Jesus' birth, of Bethlehem. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us. Thank you for your word. And as we studied tonight in Micah we, or in Jonah, we, we see, Lord, so many lessons from his life. We thank you, Lord, for what we can learn. And we know, Lord, that you're willing to use any of us. Um, you use imperfect people because that's all you have to work with. And we thank you, Lord, that you're willing to use us if we'll just be willing to use by you. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that he paid the price for us, and we have eternal life through him. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.